0: What's going on? My name is Matthew and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. This is a place where we hope that you can be encouraged, that your faith can be built up and that you can leave feeling more connected to Jesus and his church than when you tuned in. Hey, I hope you are well today. My name is Shane. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are in Washington, I think we're experiencing the next wave of COVID quarantine fatigue with the restrictions that were just handed down from our governor last week. That's hitting us all differently. Man, I didn't sleep well last night. Lots of people I've talked to this week are just, man, just kind of hitting this wall again. Here we are eight months into this season um, and the challenges just kind of just continue to hit us in waves. Thanksgiving's coming up. It looks different for a lot of us this year. Man, how do we navigate all this? I think the challenge especially with this season and I think why this conversation is so important and pertinent today is man, when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I'm kind of it feels like I'm kind of being assaulted by all of these emotions or all these mental challenges is I quickly miss the state of where my heart is because I'm distracted by all these outward circumstances and and I'm I'm, I'm missing where where my heart truly is. And Jesus is always wanting to get to the state of our hearts. The heart is the core essence of who you are. It's, It's who God made you to be and God wants you. He wants your heart. And so it's really important that we understand where our hearts are at. This conversation today actually makes me think about peaches, I know, random. Like how do you get to peaches from COVID quarantine fatigue? I promise there's a connection. This summer, my family and I, we went Peach picking together, and we got to the farm, and, and one of the guys working on the farm was showing us how to find and pick the right peaches. And he grabbed one off the tree, and he asked our kids, "Who? Hey, who wants to try this peach?" And our three-year-old, she is our foodie. She loves to eat. She quickly raised her hand. Says, "Me, me, me!" Takes a big bite. Peach juice just dripping all down her chin, all over her shirt. I mean, she is just soaked like one of the best, juiciest peaches like you've ever seen in your life. And then he grabs another one off the tree that, to me, looked exactly the same as the first one, but he, he feels it a little bit. He, he looks at the top and then he just splits this peach in half and, and inside this peach, we saw the pit just split in half and it was hollow. It, it, was, it was rotten, the, the, the actual core, the, the, the peach pit was, was empty had had no life in it. Like if you would have bitten that peach, I don't know what you would have tasted, but from the outside, like for me looking at the outside of these two peaches, I could not distinguish the difference, but clearly something on the inside was very different. I think the challenge is outward appearances, outward actions, even the words we say, those are easier to see and to measure, but to measure the state of your heart, your love for people, your, your motivations, your desires, those are harder to especially measure in someone else, but even hard sometimes to know where's my own heart at, especially in a season of challenge and distraction. But I believe everyone can be, can be made right with God by having the right heart. So it's really important that we get to the core of this conversation, where is your heart? And that's the question today I think that Jesus asks us, invites us to consider is how's your heart? How's your heart? And this is such an important question not to miss, even in times of challenge, even in times of difficulty that we don't disconnect from our hearts and the work that God's doing in our hearts right now to grow us, to mature us, to help us become the people that he has called and designed us to be. We're in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bible, get there with me. This conversation we've been walking through the last few weeks where Jesus is talking to the crowds that are just continuing to swell and grow and seek him out. And he begins to challenge them in terms of their motivations of how they're seeking him, why they're seeking him. And then this is more of a kind of personal conversation. You'll see where he's actually invited into someone's home. We pick it up here in verse 37. It says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in, Jesus, and he took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness, fools, he says, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. Just some light, you know, dinner conversation between Jesus and some Pharisees here, right? Like, no, I mean, this is a tense moment. And you have to understand where the tension is coming from. See, there was the Jewish law that God had revealed through Moses and the prophets of how God's people were to live and honor God with their lives. But then there was these Jewish traditions, man-made traditions that kind of got laid over top of the law. Jesus never once broke the Jewish law, but there were times that he kind of came into conflict with the man-made traditions because they were missing God's heart and what he had laid down for his people. And this is one of these moments. Jesus is, is not living up to their expectations, their requirements according to their man-made traditions. And Jesus calls them on and he says, hey, you're so worried and consumed about the right appearance, the right outward things, but you're missing the hearts. Like inside you're full of wickedness and, and greed. And, and God had always intended his people to represent him in the world, to, to take care of those who are in need, who are hurting. He says, you should care about justice, You should care about the love of God, about giving generously to those who are in need. This is what I've called you to because this is what I've done for you. I've given so much of myself into your life that you should respond by giving your lives on behalf of others. He goes on to say in verse 42, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees. For you are careful to tithe. You give 10% from everything, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens but you ignore justice and the love of God, the things that matter most to God. He says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is not lowering the bar on outward obedience on the right actions, tithing, giving God 10% of everything he's given to us. He's not lowering the bar here, but he's raising the bar on having the right heart, the justice, the love, the mercy, the compassion of God. You can't miss the heart and see the the challenge is Sometimes we, just focus so much on the right outward actions and think that that's going to get us to the right heart. That's not a guarantee. But if you start with the right heart, that will lead to the right actions. Jesus is saying, Hey, you should have tithed. Yes, but you neglected the more important things. Don't be so focused on outward appearance that you miss the heart. The outward obedience matters. Yes, but the heart matters as well. And Jesus says actually even matters more. He goes on to say what sorrow awaits you Pharisees. For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. He's saying, be careful because you love to have special attention given to you. You you want the special treatment because of the position that you hold. You want people to be awed by you, but really you're supposed to be seeking praise from God and God alone. And he says, this hypocrisy actually causes other people to be defiled as they interact with you because you are the religious leaders, the ones who are trying to point people to God, but by your very example, you're leading people away from God's heart. See, in Jewish culture, if you walked over a grave in a graveyard, you would become ceremonially unclean, defiled for a period of time. You'd have to go into quarantine before you could rejoin the community and worship together again. But there was also the danger of maybe you accidentally walked over an unmarked grave and you found out about it afterwards. And then you would have to, again, go into this spot of isolation. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you're like these unmarked graves. People don't realize there's death and decay in your hearts when there should be life and beauty and compassion and love and generosity. That's what marks the people of God. And then there's a break in the conversation. Someone else speaks up. They say, teacher in verse 45 says an expert in religious law. You have insulted us too in what you've just said. Yes, Jesus says, I, I, let me include you in this conversation. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. See, these experts in religious law were the ones that were charged with helping people understand how to apply God's written law to their daily lives. But the way they did it, with with, with such elaborate loopholes and and such heavy demands on people was just ridiculous. For for one example, God gave his people this gift called the Sabbath, a day of rest, of refreshment, of relationship with God and with each other to, to rest and break from your normal labors on the other days. It's actually still a gift for God's people. That's another sermon for another day. But, but these religious experts, they, they made these kind of rules and ticky tacky things. Like you couldn't carry something on the Sabbath in your right hand or your left hand. You couldn't carry something on your shoulder, or across your chest, or across your back, but you could carry something with the back of your hand or on your foot, or you could weave it into your hair or even in the hem of your shirt or your cloak. Like it was ridiculous. I'm, I'm so thankful we don't still have all these little ticky tack rules because I think my kids would have way too much fun with the loopholes, I remember one time my son—he was playing with these little beads that we had, and he was playing with them. And all of a sudden, he came to us and said, "Hey, mom, dad, I—I I, I got one of them stuck." I'm like, "Stuck? What do you mean you got stuck?" Well, he just wanted to see if it could actually fit in his nasal cavity, and and successfully, he he got it up there. And I'm looking like with the flashlight, trying to see, like I couldn't see this thing, like up his nose at all. I'm like. Okay. Eventually that goes to your brain. I think is how the anatomy works. Like we should probably get this thing out of there. And then I'm like, bud, all right. I'm going to plug this side of your nose and you are going to blow as hard as you can. And like three blows later, he finally snot rockets this little bead comes shooting out with all this nasty other stuff with it. But man, I'm just so thankful. We don't have these little ticky tack rules to follow, but basically, man, you're, you're trying to place these heavy burdens on people to follow God's law that was never intended for them by God. It was all about relationship and worship of God. And you've made it about following a list of rules on this day that was supposed to be holy. So that a day of rest and worship. He goes on to say, what sorrow awaits you for you build monuments for the prophets, your own ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute others. Others, As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world. From the murder of Abel, who is the first murder we see recorded in scripture, Cain, his brother, killed Abel because he was jealous of God approving and receiving his sacrifice because his heart was in the right spot. To the murder of Zechariah, this last recorded prophet who was martyred in the Old Testament. It says who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary of God's temple. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What Jesus is saying is here is like you you hold in such high esteem, the prophets of old, the prophets that your ancestors persecuted and, and murdered, but you miss that God is speaking to you now, that God himself in the flesh, Jesus, the long awaited Messiah is here in your midst and you're missing it. You're missing what God is saying to you right now while you elevate these prophets of old that your ancestors martyred. And he finishes by saying what sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, the kingdom of God, and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving the religious teachers and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. I think he's saying here, the error of these scribes and these Pharisees that they wrongly blended the word of God with their own man-made traditions. And they made it impossible for people to know how to accurately and appropriately follow and worship God with their lives. They weren't doing it themselves and they were making it impossible for anyone else who was trying to follow their example in faith. And then the conversation ends, not with this spot of reflection and repentance. Say, wow, I need to really look and consider where my heart is they become hostile. They try to trap Jesus by, by what he says. They're not willing to, to look at their hearts. I mean, how might this story have ended differently if these religious leaders had said, okay, maybe we need to like check ourselves for a minute and, and say, maybe we are in error. Maybe we've missed God's heart. Maybe we've not had our hearts in the right spot. How might things have gone differently in this conversation? God, Jesus was trying to, in a loving way, warn them so they could see where their hearts were. That yes, they had done a good job from the outward appearance, the outward obedience, they checked all the right boxes, but they had missed the most important thing, which is your heart. And everyone can be made right with God by having the right heart. So how's your heart? How do we get our hearts to this spot where Jesus can mold and shape and speak and, and move and, and lead us to a people who are led with love and mercy and compassion and, and, and seek out the justice of God and how he can bring that about through our lives to other people around us, caring for those who are marginalized, who are poor, who are hurting, who are in need. How, how can we become these kind of people? Well, first of all, you have to have a heart that is cleansed. We have to have a cleansed heart. Here's the challenge for you and I in this. I cannot cleanse my own heart. You cannot cleanse your own heart. Only Jesus can cleanse your heart. This is why he came. This is why God would choose to leave his throne in heaven, leave everything, his his rights as God, his his, his kingdom in heaven. He would choose to subject himself to his own creation, come and, and endure everything, all the challenges and trials of life endure the ups and the downs, endure the pain, endure ridicule from from his own people, but do it all perfectly. Never once seek out his own desires, never, never once wrongfully use his power to, to get upper hand, but always to serve and to love and to honor his father in heaven. And Jesus came and with this perfect life, he laid it down on the cross. He, he sacrificed his perfect life for your imperfect life. So you could be made right with God, that his blood would actually cleanse our hearts. His blood that was shed on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins, but also then to break the power of sins and the curse of sin in our lives. Then he resurrected from the grave on the third day to defeat death as well. And, and through this power, this moment of sacrifice, he offers this cleansing of our hearts if we would believe, put our faith in him. And this cleansing is not just an upgrade of the old version of you. It's complete new transformation. God wants to make you a new creation, only possible by placing your faith in Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, that's his invitation for you today to have your heart cleansed. Our hearts are cleansed at this moment of repentance, a moment of salvation, placing our faith in Jesus. But then there's this continual cleansing that God does in our lives. Here's the way John, one of Jesus' disciples says it. First John 1.8, he says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not fooling God. We're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Confession leads to cleansing. It's the first moment of confession of Jesus, I need you. I am desperate for you to lead my life. I need you to save me from my sin, to save me from this world of corruption. But then there's this ongoing practice of confession for God's people. It's, con- it's continuing to, to confess, Jesus, I'm, I'm once again being led by my selfish desires. I'm once again thinking about myself and myself only and not looking at how I can serve and love other people. Jesus, I, I'm once again grasping for control and, and trying to find purpose and fulfillment and, and life and satisfaction in somewhere that's not from you. Jesus, I confess these areas where, where I'm wandering. I need you to bring me back. God loves to hear this confession from his people. And again, these Pharisees and scribes, they wanted to trap Jesus. Man, what would have looked different if they would have confessed the error of their ways in this moment? From what I know of Jesus' heart and his character and his compassion, he would have, with open arms, received them, blessed them, loved them, forgave them. There has to be a willingness to confess, to admit our need for God. We have to have a cleansed heart and a cleansed heart leads us to an obedient heart. Again, in this conversation, Jesus is not lowering the bar in obedience. He says, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things of the justice and the love of God. But a cleansed heart leads us to obedience. Jesus says that in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obedience to Jesus shows that we love him, that our lives have been transformed by his sacrifice and through our faith in him. Cleansing leads us to obedience. It's the right heart and the right actions motivated by love. And this obedient heart leads us to a compassionate heart because you can't love God and not love the people who are made in God's image. Compassion literally means with passion. it's to be moved, to be burdened, to be bothered by those who are suffering, hurting, who are in need especially for the poor, the needy and the oppressed. This is why Jesus tells them early on in the conversation, clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. Like allow your heart to be led by generosity because of the undeserved grace, mercy, favor, and love of God that we've received. We just try to pour out even an ounce of that into the lives of other people around us who God has called us to love and serve and pour our lives out to. Here's the way James, the half brother of Jesus says it, reminds us, he says, pure and genuine religion in the side of God, the father means caring for orphans, and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is what sets us apart as God's people. Orphans, widows, other passages in scripture mentioned foreigners or or strangers in distant land and, and the poor, very specifically. Those are the four categories that God calls us to give our lives to, to care for, to show special attention to, widows, Orphans, strangers, foreigners, and the poor among us. And God wants to pour out his justice through his people. And Jesus himself says in John 13, this statement, he says, a new commandment I give to you. This is him talking to his disciples right after he'd served them by washing their feet. He says, I command you to love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. Listen, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. That's what marks us as God's people. That's what the world is desperate and dying to experience. That's what the world needs, is people who are genuinely loving, pouring themselves out for for the sake of others. Man, God calls us to be, a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. His kingdom should shine and flourish through his people and, and draw others to himself. And our lives should be these beacons of light and hope. And that happens as our hearts are cleansed by Jesus, transformed, made new, obedient to his commandments and his ways that he's called us and modeled for us to live. And then moved with compassion to those around us. Man, we give ourselves to those to whom God is sending us. That's the question is, will you and I give ourselves, pour ourselves out, give our lives as living sacrifices for those that God is calling us to love, to serve, to be generous towards, to, to pour out our lives, not because they can repay you, not, not because it's gonna be mutually beneficial, but because of what God has done for you. It all starts in our hearts. God wants your heart. God wants you. I believe he's speaking to you today. I believe he has a next step in front of you today. He's prompting you to pray, to seek him out, to ask him how he would have you go live this out this week with those around you. And whatever next step God is calling you to take, we wanna walk with you in that. Please text us the number on the screen, go to our website. We want to celebrate and to walk with you whatever next step God is calling you to take today. Let me pray. Jesus, in this moment, we quiet our hearts to hear from you. God, you are speaking right now through your word Let us not move on too quickly and miss what you want to say. God, in this moment, we ask that you would just allow this word to sink deep into our hearts. God, we wouldn't just forget about it and move on from it 24 hours from now. God, it would truly change us and shape the way we live for the rest of our lives. God, your mercy your grace, your undeserved kindness that you pour out over and over, over again into our lives, God. That's the picture, God. That's the motivation that we have to give ourselves from a spot of love and compassion to those you're sending us to love around us. God, make us these people. make us your church. God, make us people who are Known by our love, known by our sacrifice, known by our generosity. God, move in our hearts. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to stay in touch and visit the description for our contact info. We would love to be praying for you. As always, we hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. Take care.